morning. Good to see you back. Um, after yesterday, I'm sure you've had a stress-free day yesterday. A stress-free night. Perfect sleep. Wonderful. Excellent. Uh, nice to know something's working. Um, uh, before we start, I just have to make a, an announcement. Uh, one announcement being that I think there's been one individual, possibly two uh, children, who have been diagnosed with chicken pox. It's, and it, it's chicken pox, okay? And they were in the swimming pool. So if any of your children were in the swimming pool last night or yesterday, there's a possibility that they may get chicken pox, okay? It's not a disaster. You don't need to call out the doctor. I don't fancy getting another dose of chicken pox myself. It is possible. Um, but please don't worry, because sometimes people think, well, is it the measles? Everybody's worried about the measles. You know, we're in Wales. South Wales had a, a case of measles. Everybody was panicking about that. Uh, by the way, how many people died from measles when, when they had the outbreak? No one died from measles. Everybody's panicking about measles, but measles is like having the flu with a rash. Okay, so don't even panic, even if it was measles, okay? Right. The, the second announcement is I have to re-plug the men's day. All of you ladies, please stay at home on the 28th of July <laughs> and just continue to pray for us men as we have a wonderful time at the Emirates Stadium. I remember last, no, it was the year before last, when we were doing it, somebody actually emailed me saying, you know, Chidi, I would love to come to the men's day, but I'm a Tottenham fan and I can't bring myself to come to this stadium. <laughs> Can you believe that? It was their loss anyway. We always have a good time when we're at the Emirates, so please come. Doesn't matter, we're not there to watch football. We're there to praise God, okay? Fantastic. And the last announcement is just to remind you that there is the Cancer Symposium on the 14th of July. That is Sunday, the 14th of July, uh, 9 o'clock, we have the Cancer Symposium up in Watford. Look for the details on the BUC website. Hopefully we'll get some of the posters out here throughout the week, but it's going to be good. I'm going to be there. And some of, the, some of the questions that you may have that we can't answer here, we will certainly be able to answer there. We've got a cancer expert, and people like myself are going to be there, so it's going to be a great day. Thank you very much. Now, once again, just to, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Chidi Nguaba. I always encourage you to follow me on Twitter because you can get all the health information that you need on Twitter. If you don't have a Twitter account, ask your children, ask your grandchildren. They will sort it out for you, okay? But it, it's, I find it very useful because Twitter enables me to get so much research and backup of all the things I talk about out into the community. And also, if you have a question, you can just direct mail me and I can respond to you. Because we're living in a world of social media, aren't we? We've got things like Twitter. Um, for those of you who don't know about it, then we have people who have Facebook. Facebook. I don't actually have a Facebook account, but I understand that they're very popular. And then there are things like YouTube. YouTube. Anybody, anybody ever used YouTube? You can see loads of different videos on YouTube. And let me just give myself another plug because I, I recently did a TED talk um, and you can find that on YouTube. And it's for free, by the way. So some of this life-saving information that we have, if you look up uh, health, chance or choice under my name, you will find a YouTube event. 
But today, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's close to my heart. Um, <laughs> no, we, 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 I don't know what you're laughing at. I know this is the only thing you're gonna remember for the whole week. <laughs> but I have a problem with donuts. But, but I, I can say though that I am two years clean of donuts. <laughs> right, thank you, thank you. Right, but when I thought about it, actually, we're all very much like donuts, you know. When you think about our anatomy, we are loads of flesh with a big tube going down the middle. That's all we are. And that's why I entitled this The Real YouTube, because that's exactly what we are. You see, long ago in your history, when you were just a fertilized egg, you started to divide and divide and divide. Then something miraculous happened. I, I really mean miraculous because we don't understand why it happened. You get all these millions of cells, then suddenly this little dent starts to occur in this ball of cells. That point is called gastrulation. It is such a significant part of your history. I saw somebody with a t-shirt saying, the most important time of my life was not my marriage, but it was gastrulation. I don't know what his wife thinks about that, but uh, I can understand the sentiment. I can understand the sentiment, because this is where your gut starts to form. This is where your gut starts. It makes a little indent, then it goes all the way through to the other end, and you end up being a donut shape. And then from that, all of your intestines come. So right the way from your mouth down to the esophagus, all the way through your stomach, small intestine, large intestine, right the way out, we're just a big YouTube. Did you know that? A big YouTube. And so I wanted to talk, because it's so important in our lives, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. And I wanted to start off with a big old colon, because um, it can cause some problems, can't it? I'm sure some of you will recognize this. Yeah, some of you will recognize it, not all of you. Because often, when people are getting on the toilet, they're straining, straining all the time. Some people are straining because of constipation, but I'm finding that loads of people, even if they're not constipated, they're straining on the toilet. And it, it goes back to this stressful situation we have. We haven't got time to do anything. I just need to spend one minute on the toilet, so I need to squeeze it all out and run. <laughs> now, we're living in a world where we have to do everything quickly. We can't take time. I don't know if you recognize this. It's become a habit, when I'm, when I'm driving with somebody, it's become a habit where people, and maybe you'll recognize this, Instead of getting into the car, putting on your seatbelt and driving away, there is this habit now of getting in the car, driving off, then trying to negotiate your seatbelt. Because we're in such a hurry to get to Tesco's and buy a pint of milk. Soya milk, of course. You know, we're not even going anywhere, but we're always in a hurry. But constipation, even though it just seems like a little bit of an inconvenience, actually it causes an awful lot of problems. Let's look at one of them. Now, I don't know if any of you heard of a hiatus hernia. You've heard of a hiatus hernia. Now, a hiatus hernia, as shown here, is where your stomach 
starts to slide up into your thorax, into, your, into the upper part of your body. Now, that happens because you are increasing the pressure in your bowels, in your abdomen, so much that it pushes your stomach up. Now, considering how much time we spend on the toilet, if you're straining all the time, and we spend about, in a lifetime, we all spend about three or four months on the toilet. If you're straining every time you get onto the toilet, it will weaken the little sphincter that's here, and your stomach will start to move up into your chest. That is called a hiatus hernia. You end up getting lots of chest pain and abdominal pain for the rest of your life. Often, the only way you can cure it is to have an operation. Now, is it worth just those few extra minutes being on the toilet instead of having to have an operation in your bowel? I mean, I, I would just say, what is so important that we're rushing around for? Why do we always have to strain? But some of the reasons why we get constipated, we're going to look at a bit later. But let's look at one of the other complications of constipation. Anybody recognize these? Do you know anybody you've, who's had hemorrhoids? Notice I didn't ask, do you have hemorrhoids? Because no one would say yes. It can be a little bit embarrassing. But to have hemorrhoids, the reason why we get hemorrhoids is because, again, the pressure we build up when we're straining on the toilet forces out these little weak vessels, and they become big lumps, and they can hang out of our uh, back passage, and they can become painful, infected, and bleeding, often needing an operation too. Something you may not be aware of, varicose veins. Also, so instead of the blood flowing nicely up the veins and being stopped flowing back by the valves, because you're under so much pressure, you're forcing blood back down the veins, and that dilates them all, and they become varicose. Need an operation again. Now, it's an interesting thing because people say to me, well, what about pregnancy? In, in pregnancy, all of these things seem to happen. Like, you know, I get constipated, I can get piles, uh, I can get varicose veins from pregnancy, and that's true. But you know what? It's not pregnancy's fault. It's not pregnancy's fault. Because you can go to Africa, and women can have up to 10 children, never having any varicose veins, never having any piles, never having any constipation. And the reason being is that their diets are very high in fiber. They don't eat an awful lot of refined food, and they don't eat an awful lot of red meat. A lot of those things contribute to the fact that we become constipated. Now, I told you that I, I used to um, do surgery up in Cambridge, and I, I always remember one lady who came in at night. Now, I told you I don't like being on nights anyway. So I was miserable to begin with, but I saw this lady, she came in, and she was in an awful lot of pain. She must have been about 60 years old. She was sweating, vomiting, but in, I'd never seen somebody in so much pain in all my life. So we managed to control the pain, and she actually had to go to surgery because she had diverticulitis. Now, what is diverticulitis? Diverticulitis is when these little sacs around your bowel become infected and inflamed. Now the question is, why do you get those sacs? You get those sacs because throughout your life, your stool is so hard that your bowels are trying to force 
it through. And it's just so rock hard, your bowels have to really try hard to push it through. And as they're trying hard to squeeze, little pockets come out between the muscles. A bit like, um, a bit like hernias. They come out between the muscles and you get a disease called diverticulosis. When those things become inflamed, it's called diverticulitis. So we know that if you have a right iliac fossa pain, we worry about appendicitis. If you have a left iliac fossa pain, we worry about diverticulitis. And it is incredibly painful. You get lots of bleeding when you pass stool as well. Often, they can actually burst. And that is an emergency. I have actually seen people die on the operating theater because one of those burst. Now, all of this is a result of constipation. And constipation is a result of lots of things. Let's have a look at it. It's, it's food we eat. It's the milk. We go back to milk again. Cheese, eggs. All the meats cause it. White rice, white bread, visible fats. All of those things lead to you having constipation. And many people say to me, well, you know, I often say, look, in order to get rid of your constipation, drink loads of water. Water is the best laxative, by the way, and it has no side effects. Avoid things like tea and coffee and drink loads of water. I remember one day somebody said to me, I saw the person at maybe 9.30 in the morning, and they came back to me at 11.30 the same morning and said, I've been drinking water, nothing's happened. <laughs> you know, how long do you think it takes to work? It can take a few days. Sometimes it can take a few weeks. But what you have to do is continue to drink water. Once people have been cured of constipation, often they go back to their old habits and then come back saying, I've got constipation again. Well, you know what? It's your lifestyle. If you drink enough water, you can reverse your constipation. Now, just imagine that. You can prevent all of these problems just by drinking a little bit more water, just by eating a few more greens, just by having more whole grains, and trying to avoid the wonderful British diet. And the wonderful British, anybody have this for breakfast this morning? Nobody's gonna confess to it, obviously. I remember saying to some guy, look, you know, that's not, that's not probably the healthiest breakfast you can ever have. We said, Doc, I've got beans there. I've got beans there. I've got bread there which is fried white bread. Anyway, never mind. Have a look at this. The wonderful thing about studies is that I love studies that look at different populations around the world. And when you look at this, you see that the more fat, and especially animal fat, that a person eats per day, they increase their rate of death. Okay? So right down at the bottom, we've got Nigeria. Nigeria doesn't eat an awful lot of animal fat so they don't die because of that. But right up near the top, we've got the UK, USA, Finland, New Zealand, Denmark. The higher the amount of fat you eat, especially animal fat, the more complications which result in death that will occur. And I love those sort of studies. So the message is for constipation, eat loads of greens. Eat loads of greens. Drink loads of water and have enough whole grains, okay? So that's, that's constipation, is that all right? So no one's gonna be constipated from now on.
No one's going to be stressing out on the toilet from now on. Everybody's just going to take life just a little bit easier. But as well as constipation, there are other problems, and it's become common knowledge now that red meat causes cancer, especially bowel cancer. Now, the interesting thing about the advice that is then given, they say, look, if you have two portions of red meat per week, you increase your risk of bowel cancer by about 60%. Right, 60%. So the advice that is given is, so cut it down to once a week. Now, if I said to you that baked beans, if you had two tins of baked beans a week, it would cause you cancer, would you just say, okay, well, I'll just cut it down to one tin a week? <laughs> if something can cause me cancer, I think I'll just avoid it. But so, when you hear the government talk to you, you have to remember that the government hasn't just got your health interests at heart. It has to think about the meat industry. It has to think about employment and jobs. So it has to moderate its message. So please don't wait for the government to tell you to stop eating red meat. It's never going to happen. I'm telling you, do not eat red meat if you want to avoid bowel cancer. Okay? Oops. Yeah, we're okay. We're still okay. So if you want to avoid bowel cancer, avoid red meat. And bowel cancer is a serious cancer. I'm sure most of us know somebody who's had bowel cancer. Red meat is one of the factors we have talked previously about other factors that can affect it, such as stress. You know? I have found, especially when people have been going through very long, stressful relationships or very long, stressful times at work, it can be years down the line that bowel cancer can occur. Okay? So, and we talked a little about, about stress yesterday and how you can manage it. It is very important to manage your stress levels because bowel cancer is a cancer that, once it has spread to the liver, there's very little you can do, okay? Now, some of the symptoms of bowel cancer can be difficulty in, in emptying your bowels, bleeding of your bowels. If it's associated with weight loss, you really need to see your doctor, okay? I always say, if you have any symptom that lasts more than 10 days, see your doctor. You know, a cough, a cough lasting 10 days, bleeding lasting 10 days, see your doctor. Usually, there's nothing wrong, but it is good to have it checked out, okay? Now, look at this. This is some excellent research. This was done by the World Cancer Research Fund and the American Institute of Cancer Research. And they did some wonderful studies since 2007. These are the sort of studies I really like because they have... They take about a thousand different research papers, put them all together, get all their scientists to look at them, and churn out some big statements. And basically what they said from a thousand different research papers is that fiber-rich foods reduce bowel cancer, and red meat increases the risk of bowel cancer. So with all that research out there, there is no excuse for us. We need to try and eliminate red meat from our diet. Now, I say I like these research products for, for, for several reasons. You see, people think that scientists are these sort of godlike figures who always tell the truth. That is not true, okay? That is not true. I did a couple of science degrees before I did medicine, and I can tell you categorically it is not true. Let me tell you something. Um, this is perfectly legal 
what I'm about to tell you. In fact, it's not just perfectly legal. This is standard practice in science. If I want to say, let's say, caffeine or coffee lowers the risk of bowel cancer, if I wanted to prove that, because I'm being funded by Nestle or something, if I wanted to prove that, I could do 10 different experiments. Nine of them would say, actually, no, it doesn't reduce your risk of bowel cancer. In fact, five of them could say, it increases your risk of bowel cancer. But if one of them says, oh, you know what, it possibly reduces your risk of bowel cancer, I can publish that one and neglect the other nine. That is what happens in science today. You look it up. Science is biased towards the person who funds it, okay? And what I've just told you is not illegal. It is not deception. I remember I did an experiment. It took me three or four months in my final year project of physiology. It took me three months, and I was trying to prove something. And I wanted to get a paper out of it. I didn't prove it. All the evidence pointed against what I wanted it to happen. So I couldn't publish a paper. Actually, but if I've shown that this doesn't work, surely that's information that should be out there. But you're just not allowed to publish the paper. So that is common practice in science. So don't wait for those. You, you will hear every now and again the newspapers will say, oh yeah, caffeine can do this or red wine can do that. That's just one study. What you need to see is who is behind that study and what other studies have they done. Okay, that's why I love these sort of um, experiments because they have loads of scientific papers all together. <clears throat> because like you, I'm sure, I like to think about things. I always like to question things, don't you? And I always like to question, for example, why do children need to wear glasses? You ever thought about that? Why should children need to wear glasses? I mean, did God make a mistake? So many children wear glasses. Do you ever think about that? And so you look at a research project that deals with populations and you can get some answers. Look, look at this research project done by the Australian National University. 30% of Singaporean children need glasses. 3% of Chinese Australian children need glasses. So there's a significant difference. What do you think is going on? Any ideas? Sorry? What, diet? Maybe, maybe. Let me ask you, what do you know about Australia? It's hot, very hot. What do you know about Australians? Now, be kind. Be kind. Okay, what are Australians good at? They're very good at sport. A tiny nation but is very good at rugby and cricket and football and athletics and swimming. How do they do it? You know, their children are always out playing. They're always playing sport. And what they found is that the average Australian child spends two to three hours outside every day. The average child from Singapore spends half an hour out each day. And what we have now discovered is that by being outside more, there is less risk of our children getting short-sighted. The sunlight that hits your eyes makes your eyes protected against being short-sighted. So sitting inside, 
playing the TV games and all that stuff, that is detrimental to their health and detrimental to their sight. There is also a way to help us prevent getting short-sighted in older age. Okay, so we need to get out more. Isn't that amazing? How many people knew that before I told you? Hardly anyone, yes. Yeah, I mean, these sort of research projects are out there all the time. There's another one about the sun. There's, there's a, a friend of mine who's doing a research project in Edinburgh, and he just looked at the figures. He said, you know, the further you go from London to Edinburgh, the more people die. And they die at a rapid rate. And, you know, factoring out even the diet, there just seems to be a significant decrease, increase in mortality. And he found out, now we know that we make vitamin D from, from our skin and the sun, but he discovered that in our skin is something else. We have this, these nitrates in our skin. When the sun hits it, it releases something called nitric oxide, which goes into our bloodstream and lowers our blood pressure. So the more exposure you have to the sun and the light, the lower your blood pressure. So these kind of experiments are, are ones that I back, not just the one-off experiments, okay? So look at different populations. Now, getting back to stress, we talked yesterday about these mandarin monkeys and their bowels, right? So this is the difference between a healthy colon and an ulcerative colon. You can see the ulcerative colon is very red, very, it bleeds very easily, you get loads of diarrhea. And we know that stress can cause that. Stress alone can cause that. But we also know that ulcerative colitis and things like Crohn's disease are related directly to the proteins in milk. Directly to the proteins, especially Crohn's disease. If you remove milk from the diet of someone with Crohn's disease, they may still have Crohn's disease, but their rate of relapse will decrease. And in fact, what we found is that the trigger point for Crohn's disease are milk proteins. So we go back to my favorite subject of milk. But stress can do other things to our bowels, can't it? It can affect our stomach. Anybody ever had a, an ulcer or gastritis? So stress is directly related to our bowels in that regard. You see, because in our stomach, we have all this acid the acid is so strong, actually, that if I took the acid out and put it on here, it would burn through. It's so powerful. But the body is made so wonderfully that we're protected by a lovely mucus layer. Now, the more stress you have in your life, the thinner that mucus layer becomes, and the more likely you are to have an ulcer. Okay, so stress and how we deal with it is an important factor. All right. Now, okay. So we've been looking at certain things in the bowels. I want you to talk about something else that happens within our bowels, and that is obviously the diabetes epidemic. Every one of us knows somebody with diabetes. And we're looking at type 2 diabetes. That's what we call, or what we used to call, adult-onset diabetes. So I want to show you some of the things that can cause it, what happens to you, but the most important thing is how we can reverse it. Would you like to know how to reverse diabetes? Yes. Absolutely, that's what we're gonna to do today. Right, so diabetes, we have about three million people diagnosed with it in the UK. Um, one million are undiagnosed diabetics in the UK. Seven million people are at risk of getting diabetes. 
and it currently costs the NHS a million pounds an hour to treat people with diabetes. And it's expanding, by the way, folks. Pretty soon, I think they realise that in 2030, if it continues to rise at the rate it's rising, it will bankrupt the NHS. You may also know that if Alzheimer's continues to grow at the rate it's growing, that will bankrupt the NHS. If heart disease continues to all these things are looking to bankrupt the NHS. So we need to do something about it. Because by the time it comes to your turn, there may not be any money to treat you. And as we know, prevention is better than cure. Worldwide, we have 400 million people with diabetes. These are some of the problems with diabetes. Diabetes affects every part of your body. 50% of people who are blind are blind because of diabetes. 60% of people who have amputated limbs are amputated because of diabetes. Somewhere between 70 and 80% of kidney problems are due to diabetes, but people are on dialysis. So it affects everywhere. So what, what are we going to do about it? Well, let's just look at how diabetes is growing. This is just in the US. So from about 1990, it's just rising at a rapid rate. That's about the same as the UK. It mirrors the same rate of obesity. So obesity, we know obesity and diabetes are inextricably linked, but you don't have to be obese to be diabetic. So, I always say that, oh, no, let me go back. I'm going to show you something. Um, yeah, let me show you this little clip, and then we'll talk about how we can reverse it. And it's just going to explain a little bit how diabetes works. When you hear the word insulin, you may think of people who have diabetes. While this is true, what you may not know is that insulin is one of the many hormones created in the human body. Insulin is important to the body. It allows blood sugar, or glucose, to get into cells to provide them with energy. When you eat, your body breaks down food into glucose in your small intestine. This is your body's source of energy for everything it does, from working and thinking to exercising and healing. Glucose travels through your bloodstream looking for individual cells that need energy. For glucose to get into the cells, it requires insulin. Insulin is the key that unlocks cells for glucose to enter and deliver energy. When insulin arrives, it signals the cell to activate glucose transporters. These transporters pull glucose through cell walls. When glucose moves into the cell, it delivers energy. Insulin is normally produced in the pancreas. When glucose enters your bloodstream, the pancreas matches it with the right amount of insulin to move glucose into your cells. In people with type 2 diabetes, the pancreas may not be doing its entire job. It may produce less and less insulin over time. If this happens, there isn't enough insulin in the bloodstream to unlock cells. With the cells locked, glucose can't get where it is needed to provide energy. In some type 2 diabetes patients, cells build up a resistance to insulin. Even though there may be enough insulin in the bloodstream, it can't unlock cells to allow glucose to enter. 
As a result, it takes more insulin to find the right key to unlock the cell for glucose. This makes it more difficult for cells to get the energy they need. When glucose can't get into cells, either because there isn't enough insulin or because the body is resisting it, glucose begins to build up in the bloodstream. As a result, all that energy is wasted. It does not get to cells where it is needed. Without glucose in your cells, they lack the energy they require to keep your body working. Talk to your doctor to see if insulin might be right for you. you okay, so that's a, a nice schematic of how diabetes works. And I always say it's a bit like the, the game Knockdown Ginger. Do you remember Knockdown Ginger? Uh, yeah, yeah, some of us do, yeah. Most of you people are too good to be playing those sort of games. Well, I, as a child, I had a bit of a misspent youth, and I spend a lot of my time playing Knockdown Ginger. Let me just explain what Knockdown Ginger is. Knockdown Ginger is just where you knock on somebody's door and run away. <laughs> yeah? You knock on somebody's door and run away. And being the, the cruel person I was, I would knock... I would run away and hide, and when somebody comes out, um, I'd be hiding somewhere. When they close the door, I'd go back and knock again <laughs> and run away and see how, how much I can get away with. But there would come a point where you would knock on the door and nobody would open it. They'd just be fed up because they know it's some crazy kid. And that's a bit like um, how diabetes works. You see, in order for your cells to open up to glucose, insulin has to come and knock on the cell's door. Insulin knocks on the door and, the, and it says to the cell, okay, just open up for the glucose and the glucose comes in. Now, if you are constantly knocking on the door by eating a Mars bar followed by a Big Mac, followed by a milkshake, followed by a Diet Coke, obviously, um, if you do that, you are knocking on the door so often that your cell says, look, I don't care if you're insulin, no more glucose can come in. I am not going to open up to any more glucose. And when you can't open up to glucose, your blood glucose levels start to rise. And when your glucose levels rise, that causes all the problem. That causes all the nerve damage. That causes all the vessel damage, okay? Right. And even worse than that, because your blood glucose levels are rising all the time, your brain is thinking, look, there's so much glucose, let's give more insulin. And it's just like a vicious cycle. Now, it doesn't only just um, make your cells resistant to insulin. Lots of insulin in your, in your bloodstream is bad for you. Insulin causes things to grow. If you have high levels of insulin in your body, you are susceptible to cancer. Right? If you have high levels of insulin in your body, you will find it very difficult to lose weight because insulin wants to make things grow and it wants to store fat. So we want to try and keep those insulin levels low. Okay. Now, the cure, this is what we want to know, right? Okay, you've told us all the bad stuff. How can we cure diabetes? And by the way, when you go to most doctors these days, they will say, no, once you've got diabetes, you've got to be on medication for life, you'll be on tablets, and then when the tablets start to fail, you have to go on to insulin. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. That is not true. That is not true. 
Every single week, I can testify, every single week, I have been able to reverse people's diabetes. I'm just going to show you how, how to do it. I'm showing this for free, folks, for free. Right. I charge an awful lot of money, folks, but I'm giving you this for free. Right. This is what I do. Look, we've said the reason why your cells become insulin resistant is because there's so much insulin. There's so much insulin in the system. And the reason why your insulin goes up so high is because there's so much glucose. Well, look, if we know what causes it, it's then pretty easy to reverse it, isn't it? What do you do? This is what I, this is what I tell my patients to do. For the first two to four weeks, you can only eat greens and beans. That is all you can do. You can only eat greens and beans. And you can only drink water. By the way, folks, anybody, if you drink any kind of sweet drink, you are going to increase your glucose levels. You're going to give yourself those insulin rushes. To be honest, a sweet drink, and that, involves, that includes juices, a sweet drink, in terms of getting rid of your belly fat, is worse than a donut. Yeah, it's worse than a donut. So you're all looking at me and laughing at me eating donuts, <laughs> and you're doing worse yourself. Let me tell you why. You see, because when you eat a donut, you have to digest it. And even though it is full of sugar, that sugar is released slower than when you drink some grape juice and the sugar goes straight into your bloodstream. So any kind of sweet drink, fizzy drink, natural drink, is detrimental to your health in that it shoots up your blood sugar. So I tell people, for the first two to four weeks, you can only eat greens and beans and drink water. Okay. After every single meal, this means every single meal you take, you have to walk for at least 30 minutes. And I mean a 30-minute brisk walk. And I guess if you know you have to do that, that may cut down on the number of meals you're going to have each day. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. You know, to reduce the size and the frequency of what we're eating will also help. You may have heard, <laughs> I, I heard this, this is the cure for diabetes. And they said, the cure for diabetes is to have a gastric band operation. Have you heard that? But it's true, you know, if you have a gastric band operation, within weeks, your diabetes goes away. So we know it can work. But it only works because you have cut down the number of calories you can put into your system. I think this is a lot easier than having a gastric band operation. Okay? There are no side effects. You don't have to have any more operations. So reduce the amount that you eat. Only eat greens and beans for the first two to four weeks and drink only water. After that, you can slowly introduce fruit. You can slowly introduce things like whole grain rice, whole grain bread, whole grain pasta, those sort of things. But you can never go back to eating white rice. You can never go back to eating white bread. Those, just, those things are just full of sugar for you. Now, every patient I have ever had with type 2 diabetes has responded to that within two weeks. The last gentleman I treated had diabetes for 20 years, 
He was 67 years old, had diabetes for 20 years. He was slightly overweight. He transformed his diabetes, and he was very strict about what he did. And he did something I don't recommend everybody did. He, he just got rid of his medication completely to begin with. And his blood sugar normalized within one week. I am not telling you that this is easy. Okay? It is not easy to change your diet. But it's a lot easier than going to the hospital for the rest of your life, taking that medication, looking forward to having insulin, looking forward to having di diabetic complications. I mean, it's a lot easier than that. So you must do everything you possibly can to make that work for you if you're a diabetic. And by the way, we're not just here for ourselves, are we? We're here to share this information. So if you know somebody, get them to try it, okay? Get them to try it, and if it doesn't work, you can come back to me. I guarantee it will work. But the problem I have is um, when people come to me and I talk about their diet, they don't tell me the truth. Have you ever seen this program, Secret Eaters? I love that program. You see, I get this every day. Every day I get patients who will say to me, <laughs> Dr. Chitty, I don't understand it. I'm 35 stone. I only eat a lettuce leaf a day. How, how can this be? How can this be? Now, I don't say this out loud. I'm saying it in my mind. You are a liar. In fact, one person said this to me. She said, yeah, I only eat pure organic greens and vegetables. She had a coat on and it was rustling. I said, what is in your pocket? A huge packet of boiled sweets. Oh. You know, we just don't like to tell the truth. They think, oh, maybe I'm going to judge them. I'm not trying to judge them. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. If you can't tell the truth to me, at least tell the truth to yourself. I always tell them this. Look, one of the fundamental laws of science is that matter cannot be created or destroyed. You can't create matter and you can't destroy matter. You can only convert it. So you can't turn one lettuce leaf into 35 stone. Okay? That is the, the fundamental law of thermodynamics. You look it up. And by the way, that law goes against the Big Bang Theory. You know, that the universe came from nothing. Now, if those great scientists know the fundamental law of thermodynamics, saying that you cannot create or destroy matter, how can you get the whole universe out of nothing? It's impossible. And I say the same thing to those people who try and lie to me that they're overweight, but they don't understand why. You know why you're eating, and you're eating too much. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Right, so you make sure that you share that knowledge with anybody who has diabetes, and you will find that they will be cured. Okay. I have a few minutes now for, for some questions. Anybody has a question? Please feel free to raise your hand. There's a hand at the back. I don't know if we have any mics. Who's dealing with the mics today? Thank you. So there's some hands at the back. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question about um, the, the stats that you showed about sunlight yes. and the children's eyes. Yes. 
but isn't there also something about sunlight and the relationship to um, cataracts? Yeah. Uh, yes, there is. Yeah, I mean, the sun can cause damage. We don't want to look directly into the, into the sun, but it's just the fact that you're outside getting sunlight. I mean, not direct sunlight into your eyes, but you're outside, the sunlight is hitting your retinas, that actually preserves your eyes. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Uh, I would like to find out how to differentiate, uh, because I, I would like to think that there's bleeding from both constipation and bowel cancer. Yes. How can I differentiate the bleeding from the two? From, con from constipation and bowel cancer? Okay, so bleeding from constipation can take a couple of different forms. If it is, for example, painful bleeding, if every time you go to the toilet it's incredibly painful and you're bleeding, that indicates that you've probably got a little tear in your anus, we call it a fissure, okay? That is not cancer. To, to differentiate between that kind of bleeding and cancer is that often it's associated with weight loss. Cancer is usually associated with some weight loss. And even if you haven't noticed the weight loss, you may know that you're you know, your, your trousers are getting a bit loose for you. But as I say, if you're having that kind of bleeding for any amount of time over 10 days, two weeks, make sure you see your doctor. Because what your doctor will be able to do, that uncomfortable exam where he puts his finger up your back passage, by doing that, you can actually identify 60% of the cancers. But if you're still having the bleeding, he'll send you for, or she'll send you for some tests and you'll be able to differentiate it. It's difficult just to say on a history, you do need further investigation. Thanks. Where am I? Where are we? Thank you, Doctor, for the message. Um, I just want to ask a question. Yes. Given what you said about the NHS running out of money in the future. Yes. And currently the government is struggling to even reduce the debt the, the country owns. Yes. As a church, do you think this would be a good opportunity to set up our own institutions where, for example, we can take up some of this problem from the NHS? And, and going to, into partnership with the government and see if they can do some money. Okay, yeah, very good, very good suggestion. To be honest, that is part of what I do already. I spend a lot of my time um, in the NHS teaching general practitioners to add lifestyle medicine to their practices. Um, that is actually getting a lot of traction in this country because I don't know if you know that GPs all of their budget for medication, you know, when they give you medication, it comes out of their budget. So for them, when I say, you know what, you can actually save money, they listen. And so the patient benefits, the doctor benefits, and so does the nation. So that's absolutely true. Um, institutions, that's something we can certainly look at. We have to be careful. We're not going to be just like the Americans. It's difficult to set up an institution that can rival an NHS hospital. Um, it's not like America where they all have private hospitals, but it's something to think about. Thank you so much, Doctor. What if on that tour my stomach cannot stand the beans? What can I do in substitute? I didn't quite hear that, sorry. If my stomach cannot stand the beans, the what beans. else can I use? Yeah. Okay, your stomach can't stand the beans. Is that all beans? I guarantee you, okay, we're not just talking about baked beans from Heinz. I guarantee you there will be some beans 
that you can stomach. If you can't stomach any beans, okay, that's fine. Keep the greens and just have things like vegetables. But I can guarantee you there'll be some beans you can take. You just need to broaden your horizons. There are lots of beans out there. Where are we now? Uh, good morning, Dr. Chadai. Um, thank you for Dr. the what? very informative meeting. Well, well, sorry, sorry, sorry. What, what did you call me? Chidi. Chidi, Chidi. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I've got a bit of a personal question. A personal question? Yeah. You're going to share it with us all? Okay, great. Share, yeah. Great. I've recently been diagnosed with a condition called DISH. DISH. Apparently, it's a progressive disease and it's like osteoarthritis yeah. in my spinal column. Yeah. Anything uh, you can suggest for, to reverse this? Okay, uh, so... It when, presents as osteoarthritis. Yeah, so... It crumbles your bone. Yeah, so osteoarthritis, uh, not like rheumatoid arthritis that we talked about before. No. Osteoarthritis is, is more of a wear and tear type of degeneration of your bone. Now, the things that increase wear and tear is weakening of your bone, right? If you don't have weak bone, it's more difficult to have bone that crumbles. So if you want to increase the strength of your bone, the best thing to do is to completely eliminate dairy products, because that weakens your bones, okay? That draws out the minerals from your bones. Make sure that you are doing proper pounding the streets, exercising daily, Okay, because that, that intermittent pressure on your bone actually strengthens your bones. And the other thing is, it's a bit like dealing with osteoarthritis, make sure you are properly well hydrated and have a high level of vitamin D3 in your diet. So if you can't get it from the sunlight, you get it from supplements. And I always recommend people have about 5,000 to 10,000 units of vitamin D3 every day. I take that myself. Supplements, yeah. I, I, have been, I have been encouraging my boys to, they're in their 30s, I've been encouraging them to have prostate tests done. To have what? Prostate checks done. Prostate. Yes. Prostate, prostate yep, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, I was told that you can actually do the test via blood test, is that true? Okay, yes, there's, um, and, and you know, we're doing the screening here for these um, prostate screening. It's called a PSA, prostate specific antigen test. Now, as I said yesterday, if you have symptoms of prostate disease, it is good to have a test. If you do not have symptoms of prostate disease, which is difficulty in peeing, peeing blood, painful uh, peeing, any of those symptoms, I wouldn't have the test, okay? And let me explain why. <clears throat> in order to save one life, in order to save one life from prostate screening, you have to screen about 10,000 people. Now, for that one person, that's brilliant news, right? That's fantastic news. The problem is that prostate tests show false positives, meaning that they may diagnose you with a prostate problem or prostate cancer, even if you don't have it. So that means you are going to have to go through some difficult experiments, difficult tests, like having a needle put up your back passage and biopsying your prostate gland. And we have found that for those 10,000 people that have saved one life, around about 500 people 
will have to go through unnecessary surgery when they don't have prostate disease. That's why in the UK we do not recommend every man has a prostate screen, only if you have a problem, okay? Okay, so I've, I'm coming to the end. This, is, this has got to be the last question. This is a diabetic question. Sorry. So remember, keep those questions for the symposium, okay? Hello. Okay. This is concerning the treatment for diabetes. Yes. If the patient already has complications, I know someone who's already taken warfarin and is therefore reluctant to go on the lifestyle changes. Just say that again, please. The Sorry. patient has already taken warfarin and is diabetic. And we are recommending these lifestyle changes, but he's very reluctant. Why is he reluctant? Because of the he's concerned about the warfarin. Yeah, I mean, that, to be honest, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, having a healthy lifestyle yeah. makes no, it doesn't interfere with you being on warfarin. In fact, it makes it all better. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I'm afraid we have to. I'm afraid we have to finish. I'm afraid we're over time. Um, save your questions. Remember the symposium. Now remember. Now tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, we've been talking a lot about diet, but sometimes, if we can go back to the screen, please. If we can go back to the screen, please. Hello, at the back. Can we go back to the screen? Right, okay. Nice to know everybody's here. Right, some, because sometimes it's not what you eat, but it's what eating you. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how we can deal with a lot of the stresses, a lot of the bitterness, and a lot of the unforgiveness. But until tomorrow, I'm giving you your four pieces of homework, right? That means looking back, with forgiveness, looking forward in hope, looking down in compassion, and looking up with gratitude. We'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye.